0: free cows out there. Welcome back to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast all about nature, sustainability, and conservation. And I almost forgot one of those, <laughs> but I won't tell you which one. <laughs> I'm one of your hosts, Casey, and I am joined by the incredible Sarah. Hello, Sarah. How are you?
1: Hello. I'm not feeling very incredible, but uh, but I'm here and I'm okay. You know, it's another lovely day here, so that was good.
0: Another lovely day in Florida, <laughs>
1: another lovely day in Florida. I had a fun weekend.
0: Yes. Tell us about your race a little bit. You ran a 10 mile. Is that I right?
1: Ran a 10 mile race, which I've decided is just the, the perfect the length. best race distance because it's long enough that you feel like you worked really hard, but it's for some reason that three miles that you lose, like from a half marathon, Just makes so much difference in how I feel afterwards. (laughs) Like we were done before eight o'clock in the morning. We had the whole day to enjoy. I didn't feel sick. I, you know, your legs get a little stiff and sore, but not so bad that you can't enjoy yourself. It was delightful.
0: I am very happy for you. I don't identify with any of these things in regards to running. But um, except the feeling sick part of it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm glad it went well. Did you have a, uh, were you happy with like with your time? Were well, don't
1: see, that's friends? the thing is no, I mean, I, you, people, is it listening your first ever? This, Is <laughs> it Miler? my first ever? No, 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 no. no. Oh, okay. I, I, I had remember. done, I had done you this. You do marathons and stuff. A, okay. F- a few times before. And then it went away for a while and then they brought it back. And so I was very excited about it. But, um, I, people listening to this who don't know me are probably assuming that I'm like run, like I'm a runner I'm like 13 minute miles like I and I run and walk and it's so you could totally we could do it together next week Casey and you would finish and it
0: and my airways would contract <laughs> and
1: I w- well, would I get rolled through the rest of it. But. <laughs> but anyway, I'm just <laughs> saying I'm, I'm not like time. intense, but it was, yes, it was fun. I enjoyed it. It was good entertainment. It was good theming. It was nice. Great. I did have thoughts about our podcast from last week, which okay for those of you, you might be listening in any order, but last week, Casey and I talked about gardening in greener gardening and Casey gave us a a couple of challenges to complete one of which was to go visit your local garden center and I did not do that so start of year two and I've already (laughs) failed my first challenge but it was just because I had such a out of the ordinary week last week but I did think a lot about what we talked about and in terms of Gardening goals. And I just wanted to say that I really appreciated that discussion because even though I kind of had some of those goals in mind, to have you just kind of put that out as the framework for what you should really think about and evaluating your goals and recognizing that all of your goals might not be compatible in the same spaces and, and all of that, it was just really nice to kind of think through all of that. Because for me, one of the things about gardening is that it is just so overwhelming. I don't know anything about plants. I never studied plants. I didn't grow up gardening or anything like that. So it's, it's all sort of new to me. And that's really much like composting. It just has always felt really intimidating to me and like it's too much to get started. So I just wanted to say that that I really appreciate it and also that I feel like <laughs> I still have struggles so we talked a lot about native plants versus non-native plants versus invasive yeah. species and things like that I just got one thing we didn't really talk about was a challenge that I have with gardening is that I, forgetting about all of this sort of gray area and trying to determine what is most beneficial to do and, and all of that uh if you already have things in your yard and that's like I don't know how to tell what I have in my yard. like So even just kind of getting started is hard because I'll use all of these apps and things like that that we have now, but it's not all the time that you're getting a straight answer from any of these apps. And sometimes I can tell that they are misidentifying. Like whatever result they're popping up with me, like when I actually look at it and read about it, I'm like, well, no, that's not what this is.
0: They're like, this is an Arctic seagrass. Right. And you're like, no, I'm in the <laughs> tropics. So no.
1: <laughs> you sure not. Um. So I don't have anywhere to go with this discussion, but I did just, as I was thinking back on the things that we talked about and you, you did inspire me. I already told Casey this, but she did inspire me R- right after we recorded, I went out and I planted my plant that I had bought and I did some weeding all around my house. So I was feeling very inspired, but I do like, there is still just all of these sort of hurdles as a novice gardener that is trying to garden with the environment in mind. There's, there's still just a lot of hurdles. Yeah.
0: I think my advice to that is just maybe don't try and know everything. Like so much of it is experiential. Mm -hmm. Um, honestly, like working at a garden center now feels a lot like in some ways working in a zoo, which Mm -hmm. I've done before because, like a lot of the things that I'm learning is because people ask me questions I don't know the answer to. And then I just learn them because I have to know what they are rather than like being able to read a book and be able to spout out all the information from it. So I don't think that, uh, you want to get too bogged down in too many of the details, maybe of like everything that you pull out of your sure. garden. If you don't like it, pull it out and then <laughs> figure out something good to replace it with. Yeah. The, the other thing I, thoughts I had on that episode is I, um, well, after we finished recording, I didn't like it. <laughs> and then I listened to your amazing edits and I was like, okay, this is better. But I do think that, um, uh, I, because I have been, uh, I'm showing my own biases of confronting conversations with people who are very stringent upon their native requirements that I felt like some of my conversation I was having was reacting to that sort of puritanical view of natives that I don't feel like I did enough to cover how native plants are super important to our environment and and why they're good. I kind of took it for granted that our audience already knows that maybe I was arguing with people who don't exist <laughs> that <laughs> listen to us. So maybe we'll do another episode about like native plants and specifically like how they compare to, um, some of their invasive counterparts. Yeah. So that, that was my thoughts. I went to a garden center cause I work at one and I know my zone cause I need to. And I don't remember the other thing, but I did look at pictures of our house that hopefully we will be closing on in the next month. And I've decided I'm going to plant blueberry bushes in the front yard because they are native, great for birds. They are good little foundation shrubs and you can eat them. them. Yeah, exactly. So that's my win, win, win. Even though blueberries can be picky, I'm going to try it.
1: Exciting plan for that future garden. Yeah, that's good advice. I do think it would be fun to do a deeper dive into some of those native plants. But yeah, like, but even so, just thinking about specifically, you know, my one tree that I think is invasive, I'm still not sure. Because like, it seems to make sense that it is this invasive tree, but it doesn't look exactly like what I'm finding and I don't know how else to I guess I just okay. need to call tree people. I need to have a tree person come and one look at the tree and identify.
0: Possible way that you could figure it out is find if there is like a Florida nature group cuz mm. I was on one in Indiana nature group in on Facebook and people would ask that question all the time. Can you identify this tree? I just want to know if it's native to this area and nine times out of 10 people will have different answers in the comments but there will be a conclusive answer by yeah. the end
1: <laughs> i that's a good idea i will have to look for that all right Gardening we dive in? to be continued yep. yes so on to com- a completely different topic we are going to be talking about dairy this week and to get us mm. into that casey my question for you oh I was going to wear a themed shirt today and I thought, <laughs> oh, well, uh, that's not my question. Was my question. It our winner's <laughs> drink yes, <it> shirt. <laughs> We both have that shirt. Well, you guys gave it to me, yes, basically. Yeah. So it's a gift from you and Andrew. And I worked I to bed love last night. It. <laughs> it's so it's comfortable. So oh, yes. darn it, I forgot. We uh, lived in
0: Indiana, guys. They're, they sponsor <laughs> the Indianapolis 500. There's no getting away from dairy.
1: <laughs> so my question to you, not specifically dealing with dairy, but what is your favorite breakfast food? Or what do you do for breakfast?
0: Um, What do I do for breakfast? I will look at what we have. Cause I definitely forgot about breakfast <laughs> and, and make it that way. So this morning I had like toast and peanut butter. Normally I'll buy like yogurt with granola to put in it, but my favorite breakfast food, I think is the classic egg sandwich,
1: especially okay. if it's
0: got a bagel going on in it, like bagel, egg, cheese, ketchup. Cause I'm a child maybe a little salt and pepper. Perfect. That's, Mm. that's, I think the ideal heartiness level. And I mean, some hash browns, if we can go for it.
1: That's too much for me. (laughs) I like those things in separate components. Okay. I don't want a breakfast sandwich. I don't want all of those things together. Take them apart. No,
0: savory. It's so mm,
1: good. Nope, nope, not for (laughs) me. I am not a big breakfast eater on a like general, especially on a work day. If I'm getting up and getting ready to go to work, I I don't want to eat a lot first thing in the morning. I don't like it. I'm in a position now where I need to eat something just because of the physical nature of my job. I need to have something that's going to give me a little bit of energy. So. For that reason, and also just because it feels cozy to me, what I typically do in the morning is a, well, now it's the, like, I do a sort of a chocolatey protein breakfast drink mm, yeah. in a glass of milk heated heat instant, up. Yes, yes, instant exactly. breakfast. Yeah. Yep, um, but they have like a high protein version that I try to get my hands on when I can. It started out back before before I moved Back in my last job, I started having hot chocolate for breakfast every morning, especially in the wintertime because it's cold and miserable and you don't want to get up. So I would have this hot drink for breakfast. And at least the milk is good for you. But I was trying to, to watch my sugar. So I switched from the straight hot chocolate to hot milk with this carnation stuff mixed in. And that is what I have for breakfast every work day. So I drink a lot of milk, basically, and that's kind of what spurred my interest in this topic. So we're going to be talking a little bit about dairy. You may have heard at some point in the news, it's come up about dairy's impact uh, on the environment. So we're going to talk a little bit about what that is and why that is and maybe what some of the alternatives are. So stick around for that. All right, everyone, so we're going to be talking about dairy tonight, and if you are a regular podcast listener, you may have recall that last year, Casey led a, a discussion for us on beef and the impact of beef on the environment, in particular, talking about climate change and beef, and that's something that you probably have heard about. I think that's probably the biggest when it comes to our food beef and the environment is probably what you will hear most about, even if you're just a casual uh, observer of the news, you might see that come across. Dairy, we probably don't hear about quite as much, but I would bet that it's still probably the next biggest sort of category to beef um, that folks will talk about in relation to the environment or as something that you could do if you're starting to follow things about how to be more environmentally friendly changing our dairy consumption might be something that starts to pop up a little bit more frequently. And that makes sense, right? Casey talked about some of the reasons that beef impacts the environment. Dairy and beef are going to share a lot of those commonalities. So we're not going to rehash all of those things. You can go listen to our beef episode too, but Casey, you want to just do kind of a quick recap, so to speak, of the bigger ways that dairy and beef industries impact the environment?
0: Sure. So has to do with cows. Cows are special animals called ruminants, which means that they produce a lot of methane in their digestion process. Methane is a particularly potent greenhouse gas, um, which is depending on how you calculate anywhere between like 24 to 80 times more potent than uh, carbon dioxide is for the changing climate uh they are often raised in concentrated animal feed lots where they're stomping down on the ground and then they're pooping and then it rains and then all of that stuff runs off instead of being absorbed into the ground then runs off into our waterways which contributes to all sorts of nutrient pollution they take up a bunch of water and they eat a lot of food and so the food that we grow for cows often is on land that we could be producing fruits and veggies or just grains for us to eat instead of feeding our food, food to then produce their their food. So yeah,
1: so, yeah. So you talked about in that beef episode how the because these are coming from animals, there's often a higher cost because they're sort of secondary. They're, right. They are they are consuming higher up on energy. the trophic yeah,
0: levels. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So and so there's kind of three basic categories. There is the land use impact that comes from growing all of the food for them, the manure, the handling of manure, how that manure is stored, used, treated, whatever, and that methane production from fermentation in the gut of the cows are kind of the big things.
0: Yeah. The other thing that I didn't um, say during that one, but falls under land use is that a lot of the new deforestation that is happening is to expand pasture lands for cows to live on. So there's not only Mm. like food being grown to feed the cows. We are also destroying carbon sinks in order to expand land for those cows to graze on, which also has a carbon footprint.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And probably that my guess would be, this is speculation. My guess would be that particular aspect is a little heavier on the beef sides than it is on the dairy side, just because of how the cows tend to be managed. But that is, that's one of the challenges that I'll talk about in a minute too, uh, that, that comes along with this, is there are different management practices across the board and those management practices can influence how much of the environmental impact is. But yeah, so those are the the big things. And when you look at kind of lists of foods and their impact on the environment, in particular carbon emissions or, or carbon dioxide equivalent emissions. Um, we talked about how those animal-based foods do tend to have a higher footprint, but Casey, you shared this chart and we'll share it in our episode or our show notes as well. You shared this chart on the beef episode. I'm going to share it again here. And This has got a whole list of different types of foods and showing their relative uh, carbon dioxide equivalent emissions. Beef is at the top. Cheese is third on this list. So our first dairy product there. I've seen other lists that have different foods that also place butter kind of right up there at the top. Milk is down somewhere in the middle of this list. So there's a lot of other things kind of in between. We see, of course, our other meat products, pork and poultry, but also things like coffee and chocolate are up higher towards the top of this list uh, than the milk is. So it's kind of interesting when we look at that. It brings to mind the question of why, why do we hear so much about dairy and not some of these other foods when it comes to carbon footprint or environmental impact? And so there's a couple of things that I want to address with that right off the top because I am not trying to target the dairy industry by, by any stretch. Like I said, I love my dairy. But uh, I, I want to talk about this because you do hear about it. And I think that you hear about it for a number of reasons. We we're gonna use a lot more dairy for the most part than some of those other things. As much as I might love chocolate, my portion of something like chocolate is going to be a lot smaller than those dairy products that I might use in a given day. And I think that's true about a lot of other foods that we are going to consume on that list.
0: Right. I feel like you're more likely to eat like two hamburgers might be two pounds of, or two, two hamburgers would be like half a pound of beef versus like, you're probably not going to eat half pound of chocolate. In the like, at, for the at- same, I'm speaking for myself for the same <laughs> sort of reason. Yes, <laughs> I know some people in our audience are like me, <laughs> I would do that, but like for dinner, like right. that, that's considered like a nutritional part. I feel like that's the same thing for dairy, too, is like it's a food group. Dairy is a food group for right. us in our food pyramid here in the US. So, yeah. like, it's like you're required to have some sort of input of that versus like chocolate where you're supposed to do sparingly.
1: Right. so I feel like yeah, so that's kind of two components of this in one is is the amount and the nutritional value that we're getting yeah. from and I think that's another reason that we hear some things about dairy or why dairy becomes more of a discussion is because we do get nutritional value in it and that's an important thing to think about as we discuss this. And I think dairy gets talked about because there are alternatives. some of these things, so I think it's worth discussing what those alternatives are. So just some thoughts on that. I do also want to make a note about statistics, because when you hear dairy talked about in the news in relation to its environmental impact, it's very easy to get confused or get overwhelmed. Statistics can be confusing. They can be downright misleading depending on who you're talking to so i would just encourage you i'm not going to be very data heavy on this honestly Uh, i'll give you a couple numbers here in a minute but i would just encourage you to if this is something you're thinking about or looking at it you need to remember to be really careful to note what the statistics you're looking at are really saying Because if you're looking stuff up about the dairy industry, you're going to find numbers that might be global. You're going to find numbers that might be pertaining to your country. So I might find numbers based on the United States dairy industry. You might find numbers based on your state's particular dairy industry contribution. Your statistic might be telling you about carbon dioxide emissions in terms of just straight CO2 or methane, or it might be presenting things in CO2 equivalents. So how much methane and, and carbon dioxide kind of correlate. It might be talking about your emissions as a percentage of the agricultural industry, or it might be talking about the emissions relative to the overall anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions. So there's a lot of variation depending on what you're reading, who it's coming from, and what they're trying to get you to think about. And it can be very confusing. What I was able to find says that dairy contributes about 20% of greenhouse gas emissions from livestock. This is a global number. So they contribute 20% of the greenhouse gas emissions of livestock. And livestock emissions are about 14.5% of all anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions globally. So those are global numbers. Uh, In the United States, the dairy industry is contributing about 1.3% of our total greenhouse gas emissions. The other thing to note about that is it's not always very clear on, is that taking into account everything. Are we just talking about the cows here or are we talking about the full sort of life cycle of those dairy products? So just recognize that there's a lot of nuance in these numbers. To me, I don't necessarily care so much about the overall numbers, but what we're going to look at is how these dairy industry numbers might compare to some of the alternatives to keep in mind. Because you might be saying, well, one in the United States, 1.3% of our total emissions, why should I even care about that? It just, that's a tiny percentage and it doesn't even matter. But if this is a change that you can make in your lifestyle and you can cut those emissions by choosing a different alternative, it's still something to think about.
0: Yeah, I also think like, especially from, we haven't talked about climate change in a long time, actually. Now that I'm thinking about (laughs) it, we haven't done a a lot on it recently, but like anything that we can do that even makes a fraction of a percentage difference that isn't like impacting huge parts of people's quality of life, Mm -hmm. we should be doing it. Like we should be trying to inch towards it. The solution is not going to come with like, oh, everything's an electric car now. I promise when we have electric cars, we will still have issues with climate change (laughs) because all parts of our lives are really like wrapped around this carbonized economy. And it's just going to keep being that way. So the more that we can kind of shape away at the margins um, as individuals and then advocate for policy changes that make the bigger structural differences, but things that we really can't control on but like I can't, I don't really control where my lights are from right now, mm-hmm. <laughs> but if we can advocate for a grid that goes over to green energy, then that is a big change that people at higher levels of society can make from us for us. But I can also choose to drink oat milk or whatever. if That's what's the best way to, to reduce my uh, carbon footprint.
1: Yeah. that's a change that you can make. So basically yeah. don't get too bogged down in all of the numbers. Because no matter what those numbers are, all of the numbers agree that any plant-based option is going to have less of an impact on the environment. Now, there are going to be some trade-offs for sure, but all of these plant-based options are going to be better. So let's talk a little bit about plant-based options that are out there. Casey, have you ever tried... A plant-based dairy product doesn't have to be milk. Plant-based uh, and a, a dairy oxymoron. alternative. <laughs> no. Um,
0: yes. I uh, so we we're talking about breakfast foods. There was one year Andrew got me a neutral bullet and I was like, I'm gonna be a smoothie person, and it lasted mm. like four days in a row. But I really do like making smoothies, and when that thing gets dug out of the garage, I can't wait. But I would use almond milk, I would use be like chocolate almond milk specifically now using it in the smoothie. Perfect. (laughs) Drinking it. I'm like, something's missing. And Andrew's like, yes, the milk is missing. (laughs) fair. (laughs) I don't know if it's like the fat content or the animal protein that's in it. That's like just different from that, but like it, it does are you a skim milk person, Sarah? Are you a whole milk person? I'm a
1: are 2% you- milk yes. person.
0: We grew up on 1% milk. I am a hundred percent that speed as Ron Swanson says, skim milk is just milk or water pretending to be milk. hundred percent on board drinking whole milk is like drinking. I don't know. Unflavored ice cream to me. This is not my jam. I'm like right in the middle there, but I definitely like it to be a little it like the, the almond milk definitely had a little bit of that consistency of the skim milk where it was just a little thin for me and yeah. i've tried oat milk i i'm not down with all these flavored things i think other than chocolate so i'm a little scared of some of the other options
1: right so here's my my experience with non dairy dairy products you need to have better terminology for some of these things first yes. of all i recently tried flax milk it was, I was trying an online sort of grocery service thing. And so they had this flax milk was one of the options of things that you could buy. And I was like, I'm just going to go for it and see what it tastes like. So I got this flax milk that was fortified with pea protein. It tasted like dirt. It was
0: (laughs) disgusting. I I
1: poured a, a tiny little bit into a glass to try it. And I had to pour that tiny little bit down the drain. I- took one sip and I couldn't do it. So I tried again. They had a a sweet, like a vanilla flavored. I tried just the plain and I tried. So I was like, well, maybe I just need some flavoring. And it tasted like Sweeter, dirt. Dirt, like yeah. it, was, it was not. Would it
0: would it work mixing into things? Like it, that's my thing is like that's why I like the almond milk for the smoothies is I don't have to. That's not the primary thing carrying it through. Yeah,
1: I it it may, and I think that's one thing to think about for those of you listening is if you are not a big milk drinker but you use it in other things, try some of these alternatives because I think that there are maybe some good ones out there if you're not. Just uh, drinking it straight. That's the only type of milk that I've tried, though. There, that's probably like one of the least common <laughs> alternatives yeah. to dairy that are out there, and it's the only one that I've tried. So I, I have, I have, I've, I've selected my next alternative to try, which I'll talk about in a minute. But what I do have is non-dairy butter. They have like a vegan butter spread. And I've used this now for years and I did it accidentally. Like I was just looking for a butter spread just whatever to, to use. And I was just shopping and I can't even remember. I don't know if it was on sale or whatever, but I was just like, I don't know. Cause there's so much stuff out there. And like we've talked about before, I don't really cook or bake. So I'm like salted, unsalted. What I don't, I, what are all of these things? I don't know what I need. This looks normal and a decent price. I'm going to buy it. And then I realized he was vegan <laughs> And I was like, this is not impacting me in any way, shape, or form. It works for all of the things that I need it to. There's no taste that is bothering me. So I've just bought vegan butter ever since. So that's already a switch that I've made. But milk is really what I use most when it comes to dairy. So um, it's something that I've equal parts kind of wanted to try to swap out for the environmental impact, but also been terrified <laughs> to do it.
0: So we're talking about breakfast sandwiches earlier. My dad bought a, a like plant-based breakfast sandwiches. So like the eggs, I guess, weren't real. <laughs> the meat wasn't real. And then the cheese wasn't real. I couldn't tell, ex- really? like, I couldn't tell at all for any of them, except for a piece of the cheese. Cause I like heated it up in the microwave, a piece of the cheese fell on the plate and then like bubbled up and turned like a not cheese sort of consistency. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> but taste wise, all those things together, they cover each other up, I guess. And I was, I was happy with that. So I guess I have tried vegan cheese. I don't know what that's made of. I probably don't want to know what right? it's made out of. I'm a big cheese person. My family is big into cheese.
1: I feel like cheese. We- yeah. And I, you know, I just sort of broke my American cheese singles habit. And so I have started to use more actual cheeses just in like grilled cheese and stuff like that. So yeah, that is probably something that I should look into a little bit too. But we're going to focus on the milks a little bit here. Again, Casey, you have these charts that I found. Our world in data, we've both used this website a couple of times. It's just got some nice visuals on it. So you can see this is... Uh, looking at, it's got uh, four alternatives, some of the more common ones anyway. I would say probably soy, oat, and almond are probably the top three alternatives that I would say uh, you see or hear about. So it also has rice milk on there as well. But you can kind of see some of the environmental impacts and how they stack up with dairy milk. So this is looking at not just those greenhouse gas emissions, but it is also looking at land use, like we talked about, water use, which we haven't really talked about as much, but can be a big thing. And then eutrophication, which is basically looking at um, that kind of nutrient runoff and accumulation in our water supply. So water contamination there. And again, every single one of these dairy alternatives have a less of an impact than our daily dairy milk. In some cases like land use, very significant, very significantly less.
0: I want to argue all of them are significant. This we're not talking about like little bit, like almost all of them. Dairy has doubled the impact just land use. It's like, 15 times the impact of everything else. Yes, But like, no, when you look at these, uh, there's no contest. You would know, no one's saying that this race is too close to call.
1: Yeah. And we, we will share this. Now I have read some things that are saying we do still need more of an assessment on the total life cycle for some of these other products. And I would agree with that. Too. It's always good to keep learning more, and especially if we were to scale up supply of some of these others. So, but again, that's not an excuse to do what we can with what we know <laughs> right now. Right. Uh, and, and looking at these charts uh, is a pretty clear view of what we know that all of these alternatives are going to be better than dairy in terms of environmental impact. So Casey, you mentioned almond milk. That's one that we probably hear about a lot. Do you know what kind of maybe the major drawback would be in terms of almond milk? Yes.
0: Uh, and then I will, can I then explain why I chose almond of course. milk? So first of all, oat milk was not really popular then. Like mm-hmm. oh, This was like four years ago before oat milk really hit its groove i guess um i chose almond milk because well ranked wise it's okay in everything except for fresh water use and i knew this going in yeah is that almonds are really they're from trees that are really water intensive especially they're grown i think often in california where there's already water issues and so those almonds that's their biggest drawback like as far as their greenhouse gas emissions go they are ranked lowest on this list. So from a climate change perspective, mm-hmm. a pretty good choice, um, and really low for land use and eutrophication, but fresh water is really their downfall and they take up still significantly less than dairy, but over half of dairy's allotment of freshwater mm-hmm. use. But the reason I chose them is because at that point it was like really regular milk, almond milk, or, um, soy, soy milk probably. and soy milk's been around for a really long time. And I know that soy is a crop. That's often grown down in the Amazon and a lot of it's one of the crops that they will cut down and deforest areas in the Amazon to plant soy plantations. However, looking at this chart, this is apparently not as big a deal (laughs) as I thought, because it is still ranked better than oat milk and it's way less than dairy (laughs) for that. But that's why I was avoiding soy milk and trying to go with the almond because of the climate change implications.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. And I think that's a fair point too. Again, I am looking at this chart here and I do not have all of the bits and pieces that went into compiling all of the data mm-hmm. for this chart. So even if land use, I don't know, Like it looks like land use, they are really just looking at size of land sure. use. That's not really taking lo- location of land necessarily into account and all of the things that might come along with that. So yeah, this is just a sort of general overview and there are maybe more pros and cons as you get deeper into to researching about things. So I think that's that's great to do is, is to kind of make your selection. I think that soy will be the next one that I try. And my reasoning for that is both kind of looking at these charts and reading some things to go along with it about its impact. Uh, but also the flip side of this is that nutritional component. So we talked about yes, dairy yeah. being something that we get nutrition from, and that is part of the reason that I drink milk. We get Things like calcium and potassium and vitamins and protein. Milk is a source of protein for me that I probably need more of. And some of these other alternatives, they don't have it. So I don't know that I I put the serving. I want to say that you get like eight grams of protein in a serving of milk. And some of these alternatives, it's like one gram almond and rice. Milks are only going to contain about a gram of protein per serving as compared to those eight grams from milk.
0: Yeah. We were, we we're joking. I broke my finger last year. If you remember <laughs> and, and my boss was like, what did you learn from this? And I'm like, I don't know. I should catch kickballs differently. I don't know. And he was like, no drink more milk. <laughs> and, So, uh, calcium, I mean, is like osteoporosis does run in my family. So it is something that like is important to my mom to keep in in mind our calcium intake. And that is something that milk's good at giving you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I found when I was reading about this is that dairy milk has a higher nutrient density to greenhouse gas emissions ratio compared to this study called it soy beverage and oat beverage. (laughs) I'm assuming that that means soy and oat milk.
0: Almond uh, milk is really just like almond juice. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> but I would not drink almond juice. So
0: yeah, I, I, no, it cook. sounds gross, but like you milk the little almonds. No, you like soak them and crush them and add flavors to make them palatable, I guess.
1: But my weak human brain needs us to call it milk You're in like order milk. for this to even be a possibility for me. So anyway, is
0: fruit. this
1: was a study I, gosh, I think, was it from Sweden? I think maybe Uh I'll link it in, in the show notes, but it compared dairy, soy, oat, as well as a couple of other different types of beverages. And dairy milk had the highest nutrient density to greenhouse gas emissions radio, ratio so we can't discount this as a, as an important thing For people. So, the reason I am now leaning towards soy milk is the same reason I chose that flax milk that I did. Like I said, it was fortified with pea protein. (laughs) So, nutritionally, it also had eight grams uh, of protein per serving. So, fortified soy milk, they say, unsweetened fortified soy milk might be the most comparable nutritionally to dairy milk. So, that checks the boxes for <laughs> just doesn't sound
0: satisfying. Unsweetened fortified soy milk <laughs> sounds like soylent green to me, but, <laughs> but uh, Fancy, yeah, don't talk me out of this. I'm sorry. <laughs> sounds delicious. No, it Great. is
1: like, this is the other thing. Like I grew up drinking milk. Like we yeah. would have milk yeah. for dinner, uh, every night. And I, lo- I love milk and you cannot just be a cold glass of milk with some cookies you know so it it is it's it's you gotta think about all of these things as yeah
0: also like shout out to the people who can't process dairy right now you're like (laughs) sipping your water being like guess what I have (laughs) but uh but yeah I mean my family I had friends who like they drank milk every meal Andrew's family drink milk for every meal. Our family drank water for every meal, but milk was still like an important. We had the full gallon. Like it actually took me some time as an adult to break the gallon tradition, like a, a full gallon of milk that would feed our family of four. Like I kind of thought it was the only way to buy it. <laughs> and you're pointing to yourself. That's what you, but buy, you drink it.
1: Yes. You no, I do that, But that's what glass. I'm saying. Like that's how yeah. much milk I drink is that I buy a gallon of milk just for myself.
0: Andrew will drink it in a glass. I can drink it in a glass. I just, I don't know. It just has not appealed to me in the same way since childhood. I could probably do like a half glass, but it's just, I don't know. It's very just very thick. I, I don't know. That's how I feel about it, but <laughs> continue with our list of after, okay. After Soylent Green is... <laughs>
1: So uh, o- oat milk might be the next best choice uh, in terms of nutrition or in terms of protein specifically if that is something that's concerning to you about giving up milk, soy milk and then oat milk might be your next best options. or you can drink fortified flax milk, but it tastes like dirt. So, so the endorsement <laughs> those, those are things. To keep in mind, I do also want to mention that dairy dairy industry, at least in some ways, is is working and has at least by circumstance improved their environmental impact. So this, in large part, has just come from improvements of the industry overall. So think about as we've improved our knowledge of genetics and has we've we've improved things like feed efficiency, our knowledge of animal health, our knowledge of animal nutrition, as all of those things improved, those are nat- naturally kind of helped to improve dairy's environmental impact as well. When you think about going back to, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, we've come a long way since then. So in particular, that increased uh, feed efficiency, increased knowledge of health and nutrition, that has led to, and I, this, this is, um, I'll link to the article that this is from. It didn't even necessarily give a time frame, but over the span of the dairy industry, uh, the dairy industry has reduced land use by 90%, feed usage by 77%, water usage by 65% for each glass of milk produced. But again, the dairy industry is Old. Yes, <laughs> it has come a long way and has shifted largely. This is also something I wish that I had had time to look more into, but has shifted a- away from the small farmer and into larger dairy industries. Now, this is another thing that some of you may want to consider as you're, you're thinking about this. From an environmental impact, it's generally considered that the larger, more industrial dairies are actually better than your small farmer just because largely of that efficiency. Practices with manure handling and that sort of thing are also, I believe, more regulated with those larger dairies as well. So that's another impact. But you may want to still support your local family farm. And I don't have any issue (laughs) with that, honestly. Um, If that's what you're choosing to do, there are other benefits that can come along with that. But it is worth thinking about. I know the Nature Conservancy is trying to do some work with the dairy industry as well to try to improve practices in particular, thinking about feed efficiency and thinking about manure handling. Those are going to be big sources to both impact emissions and water contamination. So we hope that the dairy industry continues to improve. They have some Some goals that they're working towards, but again, it's sort of that target 2050 uh that feels pretty far away right now. So we'd love to see shorter term goals to step in the right direction. I have also read that from like 2015 to 2017 emissions from the dairy industry actually increased. So I think it like,
0: I don't know. Take a look at these scraps, guys. I don't know that the dairy industry can ever get to the level of the other milks because remember soy is fed to cows, but if you cut out the cow, then you can just make your soy milk juice out of it. And that is uh, like one step out of the process. So I hope that they can continue to reduce that. I just, you know, Definitely look into. Yeah, <laughs> one would certainly are. think
1: that, especially in terms of land use, uh, there, yeah. they would not be able to to catch up. But I still fully support the dairy industry as a whole working to improve things yeah. uh, as much as as they can. So it, it is worth you know noting those things as well. But yeah, absolutely, take a look at the graphs. Think about nutritionally what you're getting from dairy. Why is dairy important to you? How do you use it? Maybe you don't drink milk at all, but you do use butter and you want to try out a vegan alternative. Maybe you want to give vegan eggs, uh, that's not dairy, (laughs) vegan cheese (laughs) cheese a, a shot and see what you think about that. So as with everything we talk about here, we just kind of want to put these things out there for you to be hopefully a little bit more informed, maybe a little bit more interested and try to figure out how you can work this into your life in the best way possible.
0: Yeah. I mean, whether you're a Sarah who drinks a tall glass of cold milk, uh, or if, A a glass
1: of hot milk every morning and cold milk every night.
0: Okay, well, if you're that
1: hot chocolate congrats.
0: oh, hot chocolate. but yes, it's true, but just putting it that way, hot milk sounds so <laughs> gross. Um, but uh, or if you're someone who just like puts a shot of milk in your coffee or you know, the flavors your smoothie with it, um, I have not been able to get on board, unfortunately, with some of the alternative ice creams out there. That's probably my dairy consumption is cheese and ice cream. But all of these things have an impact, so if you wanna, reduce some of that. Great. If you want to switch over some alternatives, also great. There's just little ways that you can work it in. And at very least you could always try and reduce your milk waste. If you're someone who's buying a gallon of milk for one person who doesn't use it, nothing's worse than wasted milk, but don't cry over it. It's not spilled.
1: Uh, I would just like to say that I do drink my entire gallon of milk. Thank you.
0: I I believe you. I'm just, if you're someone who doesn't, Uh, Like me, that was me.
1: (laughs) Okay. So we will, again, check it. If you haven't been looking at our episode sort of summary description where wherever you are listening to our podcast from we do link to some of our sources we will link to these graphs we might potentially be able to share them on social media too but you'll be able to find the they're
0: weird shaped yeah on instagram
1: (laughs) (laughs) check casey's already tried uh so we will have the link so that you can take a look at that i will also try to find this was not a scientific article this was more of a foodie article but it was talking about milk alternatives and which ones might be best to use in which situations. I'm not a coffee drinker or anything like that. So it sort of meant nothing for me, but I'll try to share that just for fun as well. So you might think about how you can use these milk alternatives in your life. And if you stick around, we will come back to wrap up and give you some challenges for the week. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on dairy tonight. And a couple of just sort of hopefully quick and relatively painless challenges for you this week. First is I'm gonna ask you to help me. I think that I know what my next dairy alternative is gonna be. But if you have a favorite non-dairy milk product, that's what I'm gonna to continue to call it or lack of a better term, a non-dairy milk. If you have a favorite non-dairy milk product that you enjoy, tell us. I want to know, help me go shopping. What should I choose? What's your favorite product? So that's an easy one. Secondly, is just to give it a try. That's kind of what we talked about at the end of the episode. Pick a thing that is going to work for you. Pick a thing that will be impactful for you in your life. So if you don't drink milk, There's no need to try an alternative milk product, Uh, So, but pick it, whether it's milk or butter or cheese, or I've even seen some yogurt out there now. Take a look, pick a product, and try and see if that's a swap that you can make.
0: I've picked mine already. What is it? I'm going to do a non-dairy coffee creamer because we'll like kind of crowdsource coffee creamers at work, and I've been, I think, doing a dairy-based one, so I'm going to try some almond breezed or soy other brand. <laughs> um, cause I like a good, like vanilla, uh, like French vanilla creamer. So I'm sure that they taste relatively good either way. Vanilla is yummy. So
1: there you go. I can't wait to hear what you and your coworkers think about yes,
0: it maybe they'll not notice yeah maybe i can be like look guys secrets." I
1: like, yeah i feel like that's what you should do is just put it out there and then do like a a poll of hey what did, what did yes. you all think of this change the creamer guys <laughs> and they will probably be
0: like what are you copy. talking about like yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh yeah so let us know guys try something new check it out reduce your carbon footprint
1: and all these other things too, like I said, it's not just carbon footprint. We're we're thinking about yeah. land use. We're thinking about water use. We're thinking about water contamination, uh, all of those things.
0: And if it's a motivator for you, like this also translates into more habitat for wild animals and uh, potentially better outcomes for human beings across the planet <laughs> who aren't as impacted by climate change. So those are like the real life. It's not just this, these abstractions of like water use and land, like they they have real world impacts. There yep. are living beings on the planet who are going to be impacted by shifts over to alternative products. So um, keep that in mind when you're doing these things. It's not just for the stats.
1: All right. Thanks, Casey. Thanks everyone for listening and go enjoy some non-dairy <laughs> dairy products and we will talk to you next week. Bye!